Aha! There you are. So, this is another episode. If you haven't caught on yet or haven't listened or for any other reason aren't up to date, I'm going to bring you up to date. Basically, the episodes that are being released uh, now, uh, basically episode, I think, 36 to 44 are episodes that I did not get a chance to release many months ago due to a bunch of uh, really hectic circumstances. So I'm doing those now. Um, This one here is uh, about uh, a Taoist temple that I found in the middle of the mountains and the Taoist monk that was running the temple who was originally from the UK. And I think you'll find it pretty interesting. It was spontaneous and spiritually elevating so uh yeah go ahead and give a listen to this episode of real talk stories where everyone's got a story and uh i hope you listen to it with an open mind open heart um you know open eyes it's really cool to get others perspectives especially when they come from a place of clarity and calmness so take this time to join me now in this dojo temple at a mysterious location in asia with this taoist monk i hope you enjoy namaste sitting here with i guess i'm a little unsure of the pronunciation uh, how, how, however you want to say it is totally okay. And how do you tend to say it? Um, it just it depends on depends on my mood. Ah, uh, so here we are, somewhere in Bali, by a beautiful river. In would you call this a dojo or a temple or? Sometimes we call it the meeting room. The meeting room? Yes. Nice. Um, okay, that's a good place. And here we are meeting. Um, I had not heard about this place or you until about 48 hours ago, for about 72 hours ago. And was a last minute decision to travel to here from a different part of the island. I'm going through some pretty heavy Sort of emotional stuff, I guess minor trauma, nothing too major. Um, but I had a lot of triggers occur that led to some things that um, I dearly regret. And um, I sort of turned off my phones and um, decided to go, I guess, on a little mini quest for however many days it takes, or weeks, or months sort of get my head screwed back on straight, I guess would be the term, in order to reinteract with society. Um, so I guess I just had some questions for you. Um, at, at the end, you can go ahead and choose to say your name and your contact info if you like, or remain anonymous is also okay. Um, I like to protect people's identity, um, but also I'm not here to censor anyone from you know, sharing their information or their contact info or whatever also. So I guess my first question 
would be why does there always seem to be so much suffering attached to this physical existence? And is there a way to avoid that? It's a two-parter. Well, we jump in at the deep end. <laughs> we'll start at the deep end and we'll work our way out. <laughs> it, it seems that it's part of the physical condition of the human body that it has um, that capacity to feel pain. And um, in some of the Eastern traditions, you'll, you'll hear the word here in Bali, sukha and dukkha, um, which is basically pleasure and pain. And these seem to be built into the hardware of the physical system um, so that we avoid things that cause us physical pain and move towards things that either give us pleasure or um, satisfaction um, so that we don't put our hands in the fire, we're careful if we climb trees, um, and so on and so forth. So that's on the physical level. Um, the question is, I suppose a little bit, how is it that we um, go further than that in um, the, the degree of pain and suffering that we can cause each other? Um, how much of that is necessary? How much of it is avoidable? Um, it's, it's a very tough question because you, you, you might say that quite a lot of the, the pain that we cause each other relationally is as inevitable as what happens on the physical level in that uh, you know if we if we see the rock on the path we might be able to step past it if it's dark we might trip over it um, in in relationship you might say that there there is an inevitable amount of pain um, Just uh, the night before last, on New Year's Eve, um, my mother passed away. Um, so the first, more or less, one of the first things that um, I experienced on New Year's Day, you know, like 0030, was a call from England saying, your mother's died in hospital. And um, my kids, I, I, I messaged my kids, they were in a different building, and they fairly quickly, the two of them, they're, they're about 20, uh, came to where I was and 
there was pain um, at the news of this loss and there was also pleasure isn't the right word but there was also something sweet about feeling uh, their love and their togetherness so the these shall we say rites of passage um, they inevitably also have a certain amount of shall we say inevitable pleasure and pain in them um, the question is apart from what's inevitable why is it that we can seemingly inflict unnecessary pain on others and again some of that seems to be inevitable in that um, we um, we can't always anticipate our own needs or the needs of others but what, what is troubling is really the gratu seemingly gratuitous pain that we inflict on one another both individually and collectively uh, you mentioned the Chinese in Tibet or the situation we could add of the, the Uyghurs the, the terrible atrocities that happened in the last century the Uyghurs you're speaking of the, uh, the religious the, the, the Muslim religious minority in the west of China that's currently yeah. facing persecution yes um, I guess some of that is understandable but that doesn't make it right or defensible in almost 20 years ago there was um, a bomb that or maybe more than one that went off in Bali and killed three or four hundred people and I heard about it and it was strange because it felt like the flowers in my garden felt sad and I couldn't tell whether they felt really sad or this was the sadness of my own heart that was seeing them that way but it felt like nature, nature felt what seemed to be the unnecessary destruction of human life for um, you know from a, a superficial perspective stupid ends and I I did volunteer to help a little bit doing some counseling for people who were dealing with relatives who were coming to try and identify the the body parts of their loved ones 
and it was very difficult. I remember talking to one young woman and she said, how can you live in a world where people do this kind of thing to one another? And I mean, I can only see it as um, to see it in the best light as part of a growing process that humanity is uh, in a very long transition. How do you see that reflect on the, uh, on the personal evolution of self? Of myself? Well, I guess self in general. Um, you know, I suppose a lot of people don't want to overthink about the uh, overall issues that are occurring in the world. A lot of people um, aren't going to pay a lot of attention to um, religious minorities and their persecution or, or uh, you know, uh, not so random acts of violence. Most people are more concerned of how that reflects their own personal existence and what they can do in their personal life to prevent uh, quote-unquote bombs from going on in turn off going off internally or say the uh, persecution of uh, their own um, emotional state of being or their own psychological state of being um, and, and so I guess I'm asking how, how do these sort of minor and major atrocities as you want to call how, whatever you want to call them how do those reflect on, on the personal evolution of self and what do we do about those personal uh, you know bombs that go off and those personal persecutions that occur within us and to those that we love I suppose to, to, a, to another extent to, to be honest um, I, don't, I don't really know but what comes up for me in this conversation is is the word indifference and um how indifference is both something regrettable and necessary. I mean, some would say that indifference is in some ways a state of, pardon my ignorance for lack of a better term, but indifference is, is, is in some aspects zen. It's in some aspects being able to be present without taking a side, mm -hmm. being able to exist without being uh, you know, uh, over ambitious of about the way that you exist and just being present. Um, is that different than indifference? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I had something else in mind, uh, which is more like uh, something to do with um, the limits of caring. That. Um, I think it's natural to the human heart in its natural state to care. And in terms of individual existence, uh, there's so much that we could actually care about. Um, 
in terms of what is happening in our world. Yeah, in our personal existence as well as the direct existences of those closest to us in a, in a physical and emotional way. I was thinking also those, those in the wider horizon. You know, it's like if, if you think of the, the context for suffering and tragedy uh, on different levels of creation from the environment through to the treatment and mistreatment of uh, minorities, um, then uh, there's a sense in which it's overwhelming. It's, it's, it's too much for one person uh, to take responsibility for. Yeah, exactly. That's why I'm, it seems so overwhelming, you know, e even to try and take responsibility for self and try to manage your own personal actions and have internal peace within, within self seems already a daunting task. Yes. To put it lightly. Um, and I guess I'm asking for selfish reasons, but also because I know there's a lot of people out there that are wondering the same thing. Um, you know, it's, it, it'd be a massive de task to try and, you know, prevent the, uh, you know, destruction of the Amazonian rainforest, for example. That seems extremely overwhelming for people. However, to prevent the um, destruction of uh, one's personal moral values or one's uh, relationship with a family member or a, a business partner or a friendship or whatnot, that seems a little more manageable, at the same time still rather elusive. So, you know, how, how I'll just like, per, I'll just give a personal example. It's like how, you know, I have people in my life that I hurt unintentionally, without any intention. It's like a person, um, you know, I want the best for them, I want them to succeed and be happy, and for whatever reason I end up hurting them. Um, and I, I take responsibility for that. Obviously, we're responsible for our own. Uh, actions and words but I would like to be a little more conscious of other people you know I'm, like I said I'm not trying to save the rainforest of Brazil right now I'm just trying to save myself from a life of misery and I know that sounds selfish and it probably is and I want to I want to sort of focus on that because if more people sort of make those personal changes, that in itself will create a butterfly effect that will help the world. I think that if everyone was more clear, more conscious, more compassionate, and had empathy both for themselves as well as others, there would be less uh, persecution and destruction in general. Um, You know, I had a I had someone on recently from Ukraine, and they were talking about the revolution in Ukraine in 2014, and uh, you know how you know the the police for the uh, for the for the government at the time and before the uh, I forget the guy's name Alexandrov or whatever 
before he ended up fleeing uh, out the roof on a helicopter to Russia, basically, um, he sent you know paramilitary troops to beat and kill the civilian protesters, and how some of the most of the people that were being beat were students from various universities, and most of those students knew people that were relatives of the police officers, and what would lead someone to physically hurt somebody that they had never met, and the only way that they know is actually in a friendly way, yet because of whatever orders they've been given, they're physically hurting these people. Now that's like a tangible general example, and I wanna, make, I wanna bring it back like to even a simpler concept of uh, an individual hurting an individual, even without orders, or even without uh, knowledge that they're doing it, and how we can prevent that. Well, there was something that you said early on there that um, caught my attention, which was to do with responsibility. Um, and I forget the exact phrase, but it had to do with um, um, being responsible for suffering in others through one's own actions. Yes. And um, I think it's important to recognize that we're, we're both responsible and not responsible in the sense that um, what something means to you or to me might not be the same. So we can evaluate things from our own anticipation, from our own experience, but we can't always be sure that somebody else is going to interpret something uh, in the same way. So that sounds like a breakdown in communication, in a sense, a, uh, a, a misinterpretation of one's actions from from someone else or from another side of things. And I suppose clear communication would be a fundamental, fundamental principle. And that's all fine and good in an idealistic perspective. However, in a world filled with uh, non-idealistic events, you know, there's a lot of external influences that will sort of, I guess, cloud vision or cause distractions for example right like it'd be easy to sit here with somebody and have a conversation and communicate clearly because you know we're in this beautiful setting it's relatively quiet there's not a lot of distractions you know there's uh, the residue of meditation and yoga and spiritual practice in this room this I've been having for many years um, but that can shift if you're you know on public transportation or 
at a at a party or um, you know in a, in a, in a non tranquil environment of any sorts. Um, and how do we sort of bring that meditation practice or bring that sort of uh, peaceful state of existence that uh, prepares us for clear communication uh, when we're in that sort of setting, right? I mean, not everybody you know lives in a a beautiful uh, you know, mountain village, you know, with a wonderful place to reflect and meditate. You know, most people actually live in cities and you know have so many distractions and you know uh, influences that maybe aren't the purest of that maybe don't come from a place of the purest of heart. So what's like a what's like a uh, like a I don't want to say abbreviated. Like I, I, I really try to not sort of demean spiritual practice because, you know, with with trying to abbreviate things. Like I realize, like the spiritual quest is at least a lifelong, at least at least a lifetime long. You know, it's <laughs> it's a massive journey. <laughs> Seriously, I'm sure you know probably better than I do. Um, at the same time, people are busy and they don't want to dedicate. They don't want to dedicate hours every day to the seek for inner, you know, for uh, for the quest of inner peace or for, uh, you know, collective harmony. They want an abbreviated version. They want like a tangible nugget that they can say, okay, I'm gonna apply that principle to my daily life, and that's what I have time for now. And maybe later, if I find this principle to be working well and helping solve the internal issues I'm going through, maybe then I'll apply another principle. So what would be and again, not to like, you know, I know you can't abbreviate a, a lifetime of uh, spiritual uh, studies in a few paragraphs. That being said, as a disclaimer, um, what would you say that would be an abbreviated version of how we can find that inner peace and those clear communications so we don't have, uh, you know, uh, personal uh, bombs going off within ourselves and, uh, you know, uh, uh, individual genocide against those that we um, we say we love. Well, um, the best um, the best I'm not sure what the right word is. Best pathway, the best you might call um, the great undoing. So most of, most of the un, relatively unnecessary suffering that we cause is through our own um, rough edges. And uh, those rough edges are typically coming from um, the kind of conditioning that's been imposed on our, you might say, our natural selves. Um, so the, the, the experiences that we accumulate, particularly maybe even in the womb and in childhood, um, in order to cope with, with the environment that we're facing, um, that kind of uh, learn, le learned habits of um, 
self-defense and self-protection um, in all the many forms. Um, you, you could say that that doing um, ideally is followed by a kind of reverse process of undoing in which the body-mind becomes more relaxed. Um, a lucky few people, that can happen very, very fast in a, in a night or two. Um, for others, it, it, it's a longer process. Uh, and it may never complete depending upon the kind of um, shall we say the kind of uh, entry and conditioning that we had in the world and the kind of nervous system that um, we've received from our ancestors In, in that sense, I think it's important that we're kind of kind to ourselves and as far as possible to each other, that we have space for forgiveness, for acceptance, uh, for humility. And... Um, There are no guarantees. Wait, is that a guarantee? <laughs> there are no guarantees. But um, I, it's a deep belief of mine that that in spite of everything, that the, the there is an evolutionary direction. To, to human existence, which is to say that because underneath we prefer pleasure to pain, um, we eventually come to understand the importance of uh, re reducing the amount of suffering that we cause to, our, to others and to ourselves. Um, so there, there, there's a process of self-reflection or uh, turning back on the self that um, is, is very important. <clears throat> and... Um, you could say that when we experience uh, stress and tension in our lives, uh, that there's a kind of knotting, you know, not knotting of the the, the relaxed condition of um, the body mind, and um, sometimes we we accumulate such deep knots that it, it takes a lot of unknotting to unknot those knots 
Um, but there is a, there tends to be an evolutionary d direction, you know. It's like the river um, has to flow downhill towards the sea. But often there are big boulders in the river, as you may have seen here. Um, so your advice, if you were to give advice, would be um, that the unknotting of of self is a pretty good, pretty good step. I guess it would be steps because it's a process, but in general, pretty good. Now, it you mentioned something about how, G given that you don't necessarily have control over it. Really? Yeah, because you 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 don't always know what what are the knots that are influencing you. Mm. And is it impossible to unknot unless you know what those knots are? Well, in a way, the the knots are not themselves, given the right conditions. Ah, okay, here we go. So, the right conditions, so, it's not so much what those knots are, as much as it is the right conditions to unknot them. For the unknotting to happen. Yeah, and would you say there's a way to summarize, basically, what it takes on an individual level, which I'm trying to keep you on the individual level because I know you like to, to, to speak on a global perspective and it's, it's reflective, obviously. I just want people to be able to apply it to their personal uh, existences. What would you say the environment would be or what, what do you think people can do to have the correct foundation which allows that unknotting to occur? Well, there, there are many, many ways and means. Um, uh, physical and psychological rest are important. So meditation potentially gives very deep rest that allows some of that unknotting to happen. There are expressive approaches using movement. Um, there is taking time out and reflecting. You know, the experience is working through f sort of feedback. So you do something, there's an effect. So there's an effect inside yourself and there's an effect on others. So when you, when you take time out, you can re reflect on what happened. And that sometimes brings some facets of the knots to the surface. Which then allows them to be unknotted. Yeah.
would you say that could, could, could we add uh, emotional rest to the physical and mental rest? Of course. And would you say that that's attainable in the same way as the physical and mental rest, like through meditation? Yes. I mean the the connecting the connecting element is peace. So when one is faced with unpeace in oneself bringing the attention back to what is being experienced allows that unpeace to be felt and if one stays with it it allows it to complete its process of sometimes bubbling up and then settling down you know just like any time when someone is upset when you're upset you know it goes through sort of waves before you come back to the your, your usual base state yeah there's somebody really upset with me right now pretty powerful Indonesian person and it's interesting because all of our mutual friends who know about the situation um, basically say that this is more their pattern than it is mine and that I shouldn't feel as guilty about it as they should at the same time I still want to take 100% responsibility because it feels like that's the only way to really make any significant change is to say hey I'm going to take 100% accountability for my words and my actions and what the other person decides to do is sort of up to them however it can be kind of difficult when um, someone else is really upset and they and they're not reasonable about it and they're not reflecting internally and they don't want to make peace I mean is there like how do you deal how, how do you deal with that I mean how do you deal with you know I mean for example yeah just how do you deal with that like it's like I like I don't want to say it's like I hate crime uh, it's someone that hates somebody because they're Jewish or because they're black or because um, they're gay or because they're um, you know a different uh, you know religious minority or uh, you know from a different country or whatever and they're full of hatred and you as the one being persecuted can sort of try and take the higher ground and say hey listen like you know I'm working on myself too and I'm striving to be a better person but if that other person doesn't want to hear it how do you res how do you resolve that peacefully that's a tough question I guess it's a two-part question how do you resolve it personally internally to sort of accept this person's hatred for you and sort of 
quell the anxiety created from that and the second part is how do you if possible if possibly do you you know find a way to settle them the other person down settle them down well the, these kind of situations aren't easy but um, the first place to start is with yourself mm. um, I, I wrote a couple of books with um, a Balinese psychiatrist and uh, one practice she had was um, uh, going into meditation and connecting spirit to spirit with the other person um, and that sometimes seems to unlock on a subtle level some of the difficulty that there is sometimes one needs patience and time and uh, to accept that people have their own pace of development and evolution you mentioned earlier that some people are able to evolve and find peace within themselves as well as their surroundings so able to find peace internally as well as externally while some people spend a whole lifetime and never find that resolution I'm just wondering is there a way to know if this person <laughs> is like going to change because this person look at I'm not blaming them for anything right I'm not saying they're bad or they're wrong right like you said you know we all have our own you know internal struggles um I just noticed that they're always talking poorly about other people. They're always saying, oh, that person is using that person, and oh, you can never trust anybody, and oh, like this person's, you know, a bad person, and oh, that person's in, you know, in debt hundreds of millions of dollars, and these, these, you know, these people, you know, like whatever. And then now that anger is directed towards me for personal reasons. So, is there a way, and I know this med this meditation thing you speak on is interesting actually. This thing, this part of sort of meditating and tapping into the the subconscious and communicating with that way, because it's sort of, it sort of overlaps onto or into sort of astral projecting through, a, through lucid dreaming where you're able to sort of consciously navigate and send messages through the subconscious and somebody else whose, whose opinion I really respect said the same thing to go into this meditation and I actually tried it night before well actually I've been trying it for the past three or four nights not really so much last night but three or four nights before that and you know I did connect with them and it was scary <laughs> like it was like whoa it was very very intimidating in a lot of ways and then someone else has said maybe it's a better idea to do you know this thing where you sever the ties and a lot like in, in Japanese and I, I don't know what branch of Japanese culture is but that part where you imagine like a red string you know what I'm talking about imagine a red string coming out back and you sever that what is there can you do both or is it do you choose one or the other I mean can you make amends and at the same time sever the toxic ties 
can we do both? Can we ha say, hey, let's well, well, let's reconnect in the uh, the astral world um, at this, uh, you know, on 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 beneficial communicative levels. At the same time, let's cut the ties of sort of the carnal, uh, unconscious, toxic levels. Can, can we have our cake and eat it too in this situ in that situation? This situation. For me, I think the most important thing is is to to come back to your own purity. And what is that purity? You know, because I know personally, I don't feel pure. I feel I've got all sorts of you know toxins from all sorts of past relationships and karmic things going on that you know I question if I'm even a quote unquote good person. Or if I'm just another ignorant, selfish human, you know. So I don't know if I understand what that purity is. I mean, what is that? What is this purity that you speak of, and how do you attain it, if it even exists? You need to come back to your true nature, and. There, there, there's a level of life in which we are active through our thoughts and our emotions, our bodies, and there is a level of life in which when those things fall away, what is left is silence, peace, emptiness, So traditionally there, there, there are practices that can help lead one in the direction of that release of what is dark in, in oneself. So in, in, in this culture, um, symbolically holy water is used a lot. Um, and you could say that's a kind of metaphor, you know, like when you've been working and it's been a hot, hard day and you have a shower, your body feels refreshed and your mind cleansed. That's an example on a, on a, on a relative level of the process that I'm talking about. Speaking of the purifying rituals that occur at the water temples, correct? Um, as as a, a as an example purpose. and metaphor, um, that that may be more. You know, it's like um, mo most of what troubles us in life is from what we hold on to. Everything that troubles us in life is what we hold on to. Yeah. So the undoing that we talked about he, he is like a kind of letting go. Um, a letting go of what is not truly important. 
Is anything truly important? Or can we just let go of everything? Well, love is truly important. When you say love, you, you, you mean the sort of unconditional uh, ethereal existence of? Yeah. That's it. Not to, not to like, not like that. That's it. But like, that's is there. That's would you say that's the fundamental principle of what is worth? Peace is truly important. Yeah, I had that feeling the other day. I forgot what was that. But you can't hold on to peace. Well, peace is not a possession, <clears throat> it's a state of being. Yeah, which would you say actually, maybe not so ironically, is only achieved when you don't try to hold on? Like when you're able to fully uh, let go without wanting to possess um, that feeling of peace? You, you don't achieve peace. Peace is your nature. That sounds a little bit like we're getting a little bit into, into Tao. Though I know I asked you about it earlier and you're like, well, I'm not a Taoist. Is that correct? You're not a Taoist? Well, maybe I am, maybe I aren't. I'm, I mean... <laughs> If it's about words and definitions, I we can go there, but... Well, they help when people are listening. Words, I mean, it's what, it's what, for people that aren't right here, right now, and aren't able to sort of sit in meditation or be in this uh, cooperative existence that we're in, for them, uh, words are uh, words are what we have to work with uh, you know as frustrating and limited as um, not just the English language but all languages may be it's it's what we we have to communicate in the in the physical world and I, I know it can be difficult to try and explain spiritual things with physical words um, but in a sense it's, it's what we have to work with that's that's sort of why I ask, is to sort of give people uh, reference points so that they can, you know, pursue down different avenues if they so choose to. So that's why, I mean, I was just reading this, uh, this book, Nirvana Tao, by Daniel Odier earlier, The Secret Meditation Techniques of the Taoists and Buddhist Masters. And that's why I ask, because it sounded like Sounds like, not even sounded like, sounds like some of the principles you're talking about are sort of Tao in the sense of um, 
you know, existing in the present without feeling the need for anything, including uh, defining that which you are in your existence. Um, which sort of brings me to another point I wanted to sort of go to is, you know, this feeling of true inner peace, right? I mean, it's such a, it's such a transcendental state of being. I mean, it transcends all uh, monetary value or material accumulation of things or social status. Um, the same at the same time it can feel kind of boring like i don't know it's like it's like it's like it's like it's like being uh tethered between these two different worlds one of this like these uh, this materialism and this like these rushes and these uh you know excitements and carnal pleasures and this other one of just sort of having that inner peace of just existing without desire and is it is it okay and or possible to sort of like you know have the balance of both right I mean like half of me wants to just you know live in a you know live in a like uh, live in, in Darm Coat which is probably know where that is Darm Coat is the uh, the most um, the, 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 the most um, elevated city is just above McLeod Ganj which is where the Dalai Lama's monastery is like part of me wants to just you know move there and live in a cave and just you know renounce all actually have you been there been to Darmcote no so, if you go to Darmcote just above Darmcote there's like these little houses and I, I don't I don't I can't read a uh, I can't read Hindi, but uh, my ex-partner, she's, she's Indian. And um, like written in, in, in Hindi and Tibetan on all these little huts sort of above the Dharmko, which is the, the last mm -hmm. most uh, elevated city above uh, Cloud Ganj and Dharmsala. It says, um, please do not disturb meditating <laughs> on all the doors, right? So part of me wants to just do that. It's like, oh, okay, inner peace and you know, zen out and just go, call it good. But then part of me wants to like, you know, uh, do cocaine in Colombia and, um, you know, party in Ibiza and, you know, have lots of sex with different women and, um, you know, ride my motorcycle, ride a motor, not even my motorcycle, just ride a motorcycle really fast and sort of all of these sort of material desires. And is there a way to balance these or is that a futile endeavor? And if there is a way to balance them, can it be so, as simple as like, okay, you know, like three months on, three months off, or how does that work, you know? Like basically, is there a way to have inner peace without just renouncing all material pleasures and, you know, living to a... <laughs> <laughs> beautiful uh, shala in the foothills of Bali or in India or whatnot. Well, in one way, nature takes care of it. I mean, you could say that uh, you need sleep and you need waking. 
And uh, if, you, if you say, well, I'm only going to have sleep, life will demand waking. If you say, I'm only going to have waking and I'm never going to sleep, I mean, sleep is a waste of time, sleep is going to come for you. So there is a natural ebb and flow in life, like night and day. So what you're describing is the ebb and flow between the need for excitement and the need for peace. And um, that's part of the, the, the life learning, is how you balance that and how you, how you find your way to what, what truly fulfills you. Um, because many of the things that we, we gravitate towards because we think, well, sukha, I like it. Uh, you find gives you dukkha, uh, pain. So little by little, swinging between rest and activity, excitement and the need for peace and balance, gradually we find a way to not exactly have a neutral experience, but to to flow more comfortably um, with life. So less abrasion. Less abrasion, yes. Would that sort of go back to what you were saying uh, earlier about the boulders in the river and when the flow is lit, it's easier to avoid those abrasions and then when the flow is dark, it's more likely to, to, to hit the rocks. Mm-hmm. So how do we how do we think keep things lit up? How do we stay illuminated while we're uh, headed down the river in our little boat? In a way, it's it's up to us, and it's not up to us. Yeah. Because um, what, what is, in a sense, primordial is, is nature. Mm. And our nature is, you might say, a wave of nature within nature. And um, it's, it's taking time having come out of balance with our own nature and with the nature of nature to come back. It's, so, it's, it's, I think, you know, one of the challenges is to reach a kind of critical mass. As an individual? Yeah. It, it, it's like um, it, one can have the experience that one is buffeted by life. Um, that one's own temperament is creating situations which bring suffering that to one. E that's ego, right? Thinking that it's one's temperament, or um, well, it's just in a way how it is. You know, when if you you in a way you were talking a little bit about impulsiveness. Um, so. 
you, you could say that the human organism is, is reactive. If you, if you have too much of anything, it reacts. And that's not necessarily within your conscious control. You know, if it's, if it's not suiting your body-mind, you're not going to be able to sit in a, a cabin in Dumcourt because your body will become too restless and it'll take you out. So your, your body-mind is bringing you from experience to experience. But from experiences, you're eventually learning. And we, we try to learn from books, we try to learn from teachers. Um, and sometimes that's effective um, up to a point. And, you know, we realize that, yeah, we can have an influence on our life. And at the same time, we have the experience that it, 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 it's not completely up to us. It's not, not, not something for the conscious will. Um, that it takes time to, to come into a wise relationship with, with, with what we are. And uh, it happens through experience, through sukha and dukkha, through pleasure and pain. What we think is pleasurable turns out to be painful. Sometimes what we thought would be painful turns out to be actually quite pleasurable. So life is constantly giving us these lessons that we, we, we process. And when we reach critical mass, there's sometimes a feeling that one's got over the worse. You know, <laughs> it's not as bad as it was. Um, and, and, and that is when there is a greater capacity to be attentive, to reflect, and to be discerning. And, uh, and then we, it's more easier for us to commit um, to what, what is going to re respect our character and temperament. And in turn, benefit ourselves and those around us. Yes. And usually that catalyst is a traumatic experience or something that's not nice. Um, not that it has to be. Often, often it doesn't have to be. Well, it usually seems like it takes something pretty serious for someone to make drastic changes. It's usually people that are just going about their mundane existence without any sort of calling for a higher purpose or a, or a personal change. Usually they aren't too motivated to transition to a different state of mind or even seek a transition to a different state of mind unless something uh, relatively serious happens to them. That's correct. Quite often uh, it takes a shock to disrupt our usual patterns. I wonder if it even matters at the end of the day. Like, if we become conscious and find inner peace or if we, um, if we don't, you know, I wonder if, you know, someone that, you know, dies of a heart attack at 
you know, 45 in a, you know, in a hedonistic lifestyle, um, finds the same ends as someone that passes away at a, a hundred years old, you know, with a perfectly healthy lifestyle and a peaceful, peaceful mind state. I wonder if there's a fundamental difference. And if there is, if you've discovered here on this planet, um, Any any definitive difference that you could say? Um, I think it's um, it it's related to the question: Am I living my life, or is life living me? Because if you take the perspective that life is living us, then from that perspective, we we are expressions of something that is unfolding that's a lot bigger than us and from that perspective you could say well a life of 40 years or a life of 80 years or 100 years it's just different ways in which life is exploring itself the the whole question is what what, what is the nature of the self that thinks it has an individual life yeah, and is there a self? And if there is, uh, is there a self? Let's start there. Now we can go to if there is. Well, there is and there isn't. Non-Taoist Tao. Well, there's certainly that some some way in which the the separate body mind comes to conceive of itself as a as a separate self. Right, I mean, we, we do have an established identity. Uh, we do know this body to be, quote-unquote, ours, in a sense, at least for well, now. Well, that's assumption you're making. Well, yeah. What, what, is, what is this we or I that mm. thinks that it, it is somebody or something? Well... The we would be the definition of the perception of I and that I perceive myself to be in this physical body and you that I perceive you to be in your physical body. That would be the we that I'm speaking hmm. of. Well, you know, as, you, as you're talking to me, your, your hand moves and it points towards roughly your chest. Yes. And then it gestures towards this body but it's it's an interesting question as to what is sitting there and what is sitting here <laughs> i mean from, from from this perspective there's a body sitting here and words are coming out of its mouth i'd say that seems accurate yes yeah but is there a speaker i mean i can't locate the i that is speaking I can locate the words that are being heard and I can see out of my peripheral vision the hand that is gesturing from the mouth towards you. Mm. So conversation is happening. Mm. But is there really anybody here to, to speak or to hear? Well, I, I, would say, I would say yes, because we're bearing witness to our own existence. Well, well what and who is this we that is 
bearing witness to its own existence. Well, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not trying to define that. That, that part. I'm just trying to establish if that, if if those parts of us do indeed exist. So again, for lack of a better term, I'm saying I and you, as in we, and establishing that those that we do indeed exist here in this physical realm now. Well, it's a very big assumption. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a big, I mean, sure, of course. Um, it's, it's a very shaky assumption. Well, I think it's one relatively necessary for the sake of uh, establishing some sort of definitions that people can sort of uh, grasp. You know. Yeah, but if you if you build the things that you grasp on shaky assumptions, they um, they lead to erroneous conclusions. So you think that it's a, a waste of time to base things on assumptions? If so, can we talk about? Well, you need you need to know what the assumptions are that you're making. Okay, okay. Let's let's go back to. What would be a non-assumption? Do we have any not? Is there any non-assumptions? Is there any uh, concrete facts? Is there any like tangible facts that people could say, okay, that's a truth? Other than the ultimate truth of uh, unconditional love and everlasting peace, which is what you were saying earlier. Well, you must remember that those were words. Yeah. And um, there's a difference between a word and what the word is pointing to. So when I say I, what am I pointing to? Uh, is it rhetorical or you want me to answer it? <laughs> well, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's like when you say I, what are you pointing to? I, I'm pointing to uh, my uh, egoic idea of self in this uh, relatively shared reality that we exist in, known, in other words, as the third dimension. That's what I would refer to as I. So, you know, as you say that, um, it, it, it gives me a feeling of like your personal consciousness there and my personal consciousness here. Yeah. It, it gives me a sense of something separate in the field. But there are moments where I don't feel that. I feel like there's a field in which in a, in a visual space a hand is holding a microphone, another hand is gesturing, and words are coming out of a moving mouth. Yes. And nothing at all is happening. Yes. And there's no separation. So you're talking about basically uh, a unified, harmonious existence without the preconceived notions of separation of self. No, I'm talking about the Nirvana Tao. <laughs> talking about um, 
what you might call zero, as opposed to Zorro. <laughs> Which would be uh, the, uh, the purest form of existence versus sort of the conflict of individuality. Uh, that which is prior to words and it's interesting go ahead and as such cannot be named yeah that, that which cannot be named it's interesting that you mentioned that because it brings brings a thought to dare I say my uh, my mind of how every every conflict comes from separation whether that's separation of nations or separation of religion or as I like to keep things relatively personal separation of self every conflict you know if it's a dietary choice or you know a lifestyle, another sort of lifestyle choice, that those conflicts come from a separation, from an idea that I am separate from uh, the food I'm eating, I am separate from the stomach inside my body, whereas all peace comes from a non-conflictual, dare I say, idea of the harmonious union of all existence and non-separation. So, seems like one way to look at things, one way to look at existence would be that the only way to have this inner peace that so many of us seek is to exist in a complete harmonious union with the rest, with all of existence. And, the only way to have conflict, non-peace, is through the divisions, the dividing lines that exist in our collective existence. Would you say this is more or less relatively I, accurate? I, I would say it's uh, a little bit mistaken. Oh, it's because I'm human. Um, and I say that a bit provocatively. Because obviously it's just um, a personal or conceptual opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when, when you start talking, you, you know, when you talk about separation, I think you're right on the money. But when you talk about harmonious union, mm. um, I think you're going in a little bit mistaken direction. Well, I, I could have flaws. It's possible. <laughs> <laughs> let, let me expand on that, in that once we start talking about um, a harmonious union, we're conceptualizing, I, I, I can't quite get my brain around this at the moment, but it, it, it's like we're, we're saying there's a something. And once we're saying there's a something, uh, we're creating division. Mm. Um, so I, I would say that the alternative to separation 
is to recognize that on the conceptual le level there is separation and not separation. Um, and uh, <laughs> it's interesting that as we touch this uh, subject, the rain starts to come in. Um, well, it starts to pour. But what? Yes. Could you just you hold this one second? Yeah, sure. Sure. There's a hole in the roof. In the, in the dojo? Yes. There's, um. It's to show us that we're not, not separate from the elements around us. Do we want to move our sitting place over, or is that okay? We might slide over this one. Okay. We started to uh, give, um, give a bit of a core here. What do butterflies do when it rains? Sorry? What do butterflies do when it rains, like if they're outside? Do they just get like, just knocked down in the, in the rain? Or is it a... They I have do no a, idea. I had this thought the other day. I went to this, uh, that temple. Have you been to the temple? Mm. The one up there, I can't see it now. Yeah, right there's near. two or three up there uh, uh, along the ridge. Yeah, the one just to the right of the big bamboo. Yeah. I walked up there the other day. It's under construction. A lot of things seem to be around, around this island. And uh, I walked up there the other day and um, it like rained and I didn't get wet. It, was, it wasn't completely like, you know, defying any elements. There was a moment like I walked up there and it was raining. I got to the center of the temple and I wasn't wet. Mm -hmm. And I had this interesting thought about sort of the mastering of self in a sense where it can rain, you can not get wet. Mm -hmm. sort, of, sort of struck a thought in me. So, so it, you, you reminded me a little bit of um, one of my favorite movies, The, the Truman Show. There's that, you know, he, he, he's uh, living in this world which is sort of artificially created, although he doesn't know it. Yeah. And um, there's one scene, I think, where it, it, it's raining just on him. <laughs> and that's from his own manifestation? Uh, no, it, it's a bit like a kind of reality show where he's... He, he, he's in this show for life, but he doesn't actually know it. Yeah, that, that uh, I feel like that's me almost every day. Like, I, I, don't, I don't think any of this is, I mean, I don't not think, but I also don't think that any of this is necessarily quote unquote real. Well, exactly, you, you know, which brings us back to where we were um, when we were talking about um, that relationship between separation and harmonious union, um, 
we, we're constantly trying to, shall we say, concretize reality through our senses and through language. Yeah, definition. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, that, that, that's why indifference is quite interesting when you connected it to, 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 to sort of Buddhist detachment. Yeah. Because when you're indifferent, it, it's, a, it's as if difference doesn't matter. So diff difference implies separation because you're making distinctions. Uh, people call that, people will call that apathy though. People will say that uh, being indifferent is a form of apathy. Well, that's not where I was going with it. It was, it was just looking at the, the structure of the word. Yeah. Um, because I think the distinction is not, not between separation and union, but between uh, a separateness that comes from uh, categorization, union, which is another category, and that which is prior to language. That which is prior to language is, is, is just, in a way, prior to words, prior to being, and that's the mysterious um, source in which life is arising and disappearing back into. Do you think that we'll um, return to a state of communication of which that is during this current uh, epoch that we're experiencing? Or do you think that, um, do you think it'll take many more generations before we sort of evolve, evolve back to that part of the cycle where we exist without words and without that which can be defined. It, um, it's not encouraging at the moment, but um, it, it can be surprising how, how quickly things can change. Um, you, you, you gave that comparison um, a while back about the, the choice between the, the Himalayas and... Um, yeah, cocaine in Colombia. Yeah, cocaine in Colombia. They both have their... Um, their appeal. Oh, yeah. Um, it, 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 in a way, we're, we're passing through an era that is quite strongly addicted towards um, its equivalent of cocaine in Colombia and um, some individuals and some communities uh, perhaps setting a different direction um, in a way that's closer to some of the old traditions. Mm. I think it might take a while before the, the new tradition emerges. And when you say new tradition, you mean a return of... Shall return we say so, some kind of refocusing that, that 
reprioritizing. Uh, refocusing, re redirecting of attention um, towards, um, shall we say, inner peace and balance and connection. The world does seem more unified now than it did. 365 days ago. I don't know if it feels better or worse, but it feels more, it feels like there's more of a connection. And isn't it interesting how that's been achieved? In the pandemic? Th well, through, through a kind of separation. Mm. Or a separating. Well, again, I mean, I, I think that that's, you know, the global collective is reflective of the individual self. So, if there was separation that led to unity externally, and there's probably separation that led to unity internally. Like, I feel just as uh, much anxiety now as I did then, but I feel a little more connected to the world. And what do you think made the difference for you? Um, probably partially personal perception and then probably partially, um, you know, technology and globalization. I mean, it's pretty interesting that we can I haven't I haven't touched the phone in like three days now, which is kind of feeling kind of good. But um, in regards to you know specifically phones, the fact that we can press the button and speak to someone in real time on the other side of the world gives a sort of connection. Um, and the fact that the current pandemic that exists has sort of catapulted our collective community into that where more and more people are uh, you know taking the time to connect with people on the other side of the world I'll bet through uh, you know through electronic device or through a form of communication that maybe isn't as pure as you know sitting down across from someone Um, this year I sort of found a sort of contentment with self. I don't mean to say self and just contentment with self where my connection with God um, or, you know, the universe or Mother Nature or whatever term you want to use. I try not to say God because people... Uh, that led me to sort of alleviate myself of a sense of longing. So, like a lot of the sort of searching and urging that I had sort of dissipated, which I thought was a good thing. And I was pretty content. I was, I was pretty, <coughs> pretty set in just existing as I was. 
Um, but then this recent event sort of catapulted me back into the quest and the search for becoming a better person and the realization that, um, you know, I still had some ways to go. And I guess that's sort of where, where we're at now and sort of, I guess, why I was asking for your, your insight and sort of what's your thoughts on, on, on peace were because I, I don't want to, I don't want to cause any more harm to anybody intentionally or unintentionally and I don't want anyone else to cause any more harm to me intentionally or unintentionally. Um, and I think that that's pretty much the essence of where I'm at right now is I really, I really want, I really want there to be peace everywhere I go and I want to be conscious enough to have the sort of energy that radiates that peace outwards and inwards so that there's har harmony where I go. And I guess that's sort of the fundamental uh, quest that I'm on right now. And I guess we can pretty much summarize everything with that one question. And at, this, at the risk of sounding repetitive, you know, we sort of spoke on it a little bit earlier. Um, other than clear communication um, and a, a sort of a unification of all that exists, is there any other tangible steps that other people, because I'm not the only one going through this, all right? It's not just me here. I'm not that much of a freak. <laughs> uh, you know, other people are going through it. Other people have hurt people also. Other people have been hurt also. Other people don't it's, want that it, It's to universal. Yeah. So, yeah. So. Is but for you, it sounds like you've reached a point where it, it's time, and this is a bit vague, for the next step or the next level, that, that um, there was a big shift into 2020. And as 2020 comes to an end, it's like what was achieved is tested. And from that test comes a, a quest or a, a searching for, you know, what are the next steps? What's, where do I go from here? Knowing that there's nowhere to go and no one to go there. Yeah, man, I really had that feeling the other day. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to get on a plane and go. And I'm like, where the, where the, where the, where am I going? Where am I going? I don't know where, where am I going to oh, go? Where are the planes? <laughs> where the, no, there's planes. There's plenty of planes still flying around, but it's just, like, it's like, there's nowhere, there's nowhere I really, really, there's nowhere I'm really, I really want to go. Hmm. and nothing I really want to do. Mm -hmm. And I guess that sort of goes to what you said earlier, which is sort of differentiating between indifference and apathy. Because mm -hmm. um, I'm not ap apathetic. No. I'm not. I, I, you know, I still have a lot of drive. I still, I've still got some life left in me still. Um, 
at the same time, it's, you know, I have no idea, you know, it's like, uh, your, your partner here, she asked me, um, so are you checking out today or are you, uh, staying? And I'm like, I don't know. I have no idea, uh, to be honest, um, because when I go, I don't know where I'm going, uh, or, or when I'll get there, and it's sort of why I like having these conversations, because it at least feels like there's some sort of purpose to it, mm-hmm. it's not just all completely in vain, it's like this, 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 this solo quest, um, you know, of, of seeking inner peace, and you know, sort of, to a greater extent, you know, outer peace, um, feels a little more tangible when it's sort of put in the structure that I now have with this, um, you know, with the show, with the show that I'm doing, with the, you know, the podcast and everything. Because um, I know other people are going it too, through it also, but mm-hmm. not everyone has the, um, you know, the privilege and the luxury to be able to do it relatively authentically relatively authentically I say because you know it's who am I to judge right um, you know and I just want to be able to share sort of that experience with people um, I guess we can I mean how we're about an hour and a half into it mm-hmm. um, for uh, me it would be a good place to pause because okay. um, I, I need to go and have lunch yeah we can yep sure sounds good um all right. Uh, do you have any other additional information or anything else you want to say to people at all, or to me, or to the world? Or well, thank you for inviting the conversation, and um, I hope um, it's, shall we say, creating some ripples in some way. Um, my name is Peter Vritcher, and um, I created uh, or was instrumental in creating the, this Nirata Center in Siddermen in East Bali um, almost 26 years ago this week. Really? Yeah, I took. Uh, yeah. 20, so this is the uh, second decade. Anniversary of the second decade. 26th. 26th, dec- 26th anniversary. Of taking the first step. And the s- subtitle of Narata is... Cent- s- Center for Living Awareness. Yeah. So you probably meet a lot of people kind of like me that are traveling through and are sort of on a quest for personal betterment and the path for world peace and all that, right? Yeah, many many different flavors and of of that uh, seeking to to unravel the great mystery and uh, to share one's findings. Well, it seems like a good place to do that. You know, I took it. There's like a really nice trail down to the river and some really cool places to just sort of chill out and reflect. Mm-hmm. Is there any for for people kind of like me that are sort of on that quest, is there any sort of, uh, if, there was, if, if, if there is, like a, you know, you 
I know you're gonna have to use words, preferably English words. Um, is there like a just a just a sentence or two, just like one thing that you wanna that you can say? One last little nugget of. Truth. I guess, if possible, be kind to yourself. Uh, be kind to others. And allow spaces in life to um, turn within and to rest. Hmm. All right. Well, take it as it comes and enjoy. Uh, I'll I'll take that advice to heart. Thank you. Thank you so much, Peter. I appreciate your time. It's invaluable and priceless. And yeah, thank you. It's good having this conversation with you. Lovely to talk to you too. All right, everyone, I guess we'll just uh, leave this at that and hope to talk to you again soon. Take care. Peace and love.